Hi, this is Jay Todd Anderson, and you are listening to an archival episode of Filmically Perfect. Tinny barroom sound and piano signaling the start of this edition of Filmically Perfect on 91.3 WYSO. I'm Nikki Dakota, your host, and hosting today the lovely and drawingly talented J. Todd Anderson joining us over the phone line today. J. Todd? Hello. Storyboard How artist. Are you? I'm Nikki very, Dakota. very well. You're the storyboard artist for uh, the Working Cohen for Brothers. Mr. George Clooney on Leatherhead, the epic football adventure from the 1920s. But I would like to know what's the update on uh, how's it going for the sexiest man on earth and his fine new movie? Well, you know, I can't really tell you what I've been doing from moment to moment here today. Uh, oh, you're talking about somebody else. Talk on you. <laughs> You always do that to me. So joining us in the studio, it is the lovely and delightfully talented, and I just have to say has an extra large brain, it is George Williman, the film archivist from the Library of Congress. George, thanks for being here today. I'm glad you said brain. <laughs> it's hey, swell to be here. He's the man, and he's the smartest man, at least from 1230 to 1 o'clock every Friday on, at WYSO. That's right. After that, all bets are off. Yes, and then next week, George will be the sexiest man, and then I will do my best to be the smartest man, at least in our uh, chosen profession, which is filmically perfect. We are gathered here today to celebrate those bits of film, of celluloid, of pictures strung together that are indeed perfect. And today, we've got not one, but two shorts from the legendary vaudeville-turned-movie star, isn't that true? That's true. W.C. Fields. And what are these two? These are uh, two, the first two shorts that he made um, for Max Sennett in 1932 and 33. The first one is The Dentist, and the second one is The Fatal Glass of Beer. Which just on the name of it. <laughs> yeah, they're about 17 minutes long. They're not very long. In fact, we had to get another one on here because we, didn't want to, we wanted to make sure that uh, the show, Fill up our, time. our show, wasn't longer than the short that we're doing right now. So. <laughs> but, uh, but, oh, before we start, I just want to send out a big thank you to one of our listeners, uh, Phil Snyder, who wrote us this wonderful letter a few weeks ago uh, asking us to do Fatal Glass of Beer on, on Filmically Perfect. And, and the letter quite was... Quite a dissertation. Yeah, it's, quite a I dissertation. I can see from here yes. there are a lot of quite words amazing. on that page. And, and it was so nice to know there was someone out there who felt the same way as I did about How this nice. film. nice. What's his name again? Phil Snyder. Thank you, Phil. Thank Thanks you, Phil. for listening. Thanks for stopping by. By the way, there's an amazing website that has the archives of all of our uh, Filmically Perfects. You can go to perfectmovie.net. Find them all. There information about these film guys and uh, a way that you can uh, connect with us by email. It's filmguys at W, ah, that's not uh -huh. it, is it? See how yes. trained I am? Yes, at perfectmovie.net. Of course, you can also find this link at our website at wyso.org. Yes, we, we built up quite a collection of movies since August, and if you go in there and start renting those movies, you're going to start watching some very, very fine motion pictures. That's right. Yeah. And today, speaking of the net, you can go to a, a website and watch this movie as you're listening to us. Uh, the Fatal Glass of Beer of the Dentist isn't on there, but George, what is that yeah. address? Actually, it's, it's a wonderful uh, website called called the Internet Archive. It is at www.archive.org. And if you go to their main page, 
type fatal glass of beer into their search window. It'll bring it up, and you can actually watch the you entire watch film. Why we're talking about it. How about that? It's in the public domain, so That's they right. put it up there. How cool. It's and, made and in 1933. 33, yes. Yeah. Well, listen, now, perfect in every way, but not arbitrary in any way. It has a very specific list of rules yes, that we do. apply. Yes, we have a very specific list of rules. And those rules are these films that we critic, that we uh, talk about every week, they create the world they exist in. And they wholly sustain that world. And regardless of changes in society, they retain their meaning and entertainment values. And... And they are never, ever listed in any numerical order whatsoever. Each one stands on its own accord. There's the unspoken... Perfect in their own scale. An unspoken rule number five, if I don't like it, all other rules don't apply. Yeah. And what is that rule number six again, George? Uh, rule number six is... <laughs> I'm sorry, the microphone's all wet. <laughs> Oopsie. Now. So which of these two uh, filmically perfect shorts are we going to address in their greatness first? Well, let's take them in, in the order that they were released in. The yes. first one is The Dentist. Now that is, I'm telling you, to this day, is one of the most obscene comedies I've ever seen. <laughs> it's almost embarrassing. And that's why we wouldn't let Nikki watch this, because we're too <laughs> embarrassed. This is 1932, for crying out loud, and, and this, this thing breaks all the taboos. This is pre-code. And, and that was what they called a, a, a censorship kind of thing uh, that came out after the movie started taking off, right, George? Because people were alarmed. Right. Well, well some people were alarmed. I think the audiences, audiences loved it. Some yeah. blue noses were alarmed by it. But <laughs> yeah, in, in it had uh, some pretty wild stuff. Yeah, in the beginning of 33, they enacted what is called the code, and, and films were much tamer. After that, they had I mean, that was the same code that gave us things like a man and a woman couldn't be uh, in the same bed together, but that one each of their feet was touching the floor. Yeah, one foot or on some, the floor, yeah. Yeah, those those sorts of. And some of these positions things. in the dentist chair <laughs> would definitely not have passed code. <laughs> you can't find a bed in that room, but it's all over that. Well, <laughs> the, well, the interesting thing the interesting thing about this short is that is that Fields, unlike unlike any of the other movies that he's in, I mean, he's cranky in his movies. That's one of his sort of endearing traits. Is that he gets cranky? This one, he's just out and out mean. Oh, he's just he is mean, mean and unrepentant. Uh, Doctor, your daughter's going out with the Ice Man. Don't be silly. I locked her in a room. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, right, it starts out with this golf game, and at one point he he won't he won't let the uh, the people in front of him play through, and he goes ahead and hits his drive that conks this old guy on the head and knocks him out. So when the, his friends are dragging the body out of the way, the, the, uh, his false teeth are laying on the green, and Fields just goes, Wait, get, get those teeth out of the way. You know? Ew. <laughs> I think I'm back in the dentist office, and uh, you know, if you're going to the dentist right now and driving in your car, I, you know, we're warning you. You might want to turn this off because this it's... Is, this is dentistry in the 30s. It's, <laughs> it, boy, is it caveman stuff. Woo! If you you know Marathon Man, they always say is it safe? That famous scene. This is the uh, the other side of that record. This is the B side of that record. It's uh, ooh, and that those and he does all this pools and to a woman. Yeah, uh, yeah. He um, well, he has a, a variety of patients that come in, and and uh, and this one is is waiting out there. He doesn't want to see her, and uh, he's telling some guy a story about his golf game, and 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 the, his nurse keeps bothering about this patient, and he finally says says, oh, the hell with her. 
And that, that is often cut out of many of the prints. I think the one that, that you watched, JT, that um, that line is actually edited, but in the original I, version. I, I noticed yeah. it had a, some a little really, really uh, politically incorrect humor in there, but I didn't, I don't, the one that you gave me, I don't believe I saw that in there. Uh, and and finally, uh, when the woman gets in there, she's got a bad tooth, and he first uh, drills a little hole to get his pliers into, and it's just the most horrible sound. It oh sounds like goodness. a buzzsaw. Oh. And then the ceiling falls and goes in her mouth. Right. His daughter's <laughs> upstairs locking her in. into her mouth. Pulls this huge hunk of plaster out, and she looks at it and goes, oh, that was easy, wasn't it? And he's like, <laughs> <laughs> so he finally gets his pliers out, and he grabs a hold of her tooth, and the whole thing is shot. He's got his back to the camera, and you see her legs go around him and, like, into his coat pockets. And he lifts her up out of the chair and drags her around the room. And this, this everybody this, looks I'm like a sure horrible mating would... ritual. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. And, and that finally, was disturbing to and people. Fi- this goes on for a couple minutes. He finally, oh, my goodness. He finally gets on. her down on the floor, and he goes to his nurse, I'm going to give her gas. I'm not going to let her drag me around the room. <laughs> Oh boy, I'll tell you, it's, uh, I know a lot of porn films got their inspiration from this film. Huh? Oh, oh man, 1932. <laughs> yeah, and a lot of people. The only thing that slows W. C. Fields down in history because he he is so strong and powerful as a character. People remember that. But if he was not so strong and powerful as a character, that is a scene that they would probably always equate with him. But. This is back when uh, the actors in movies had terrific voices, and their character was kind of shaped around their voices. You can always imitate Cary Grant. You can always imitate John Wayne. You can always imitate uh, Groucho Marx. You can always imitate these guys because they were really good with their voice. Right. And that's they not only were they pretty good, darn good actors, but they were great with their voice and their character personifications were real evident when they talked. And uh, this character that you see is W.C. Fields. You know, they say losers tolerate, winners adapt, and absolute champions of the world make everybody (laughs) adapt to them. Well, W.C. Fields became such a big character that everybody kind of adapted. In fact, the next movie we're going to talk about, uh, everybody imitates him in A Fatal Glass of Beer. Everybody's Mm -hmm. talking just like him. well, it's interesting that, like I was saying uh, to you guys before the show, I think, was um, these shorts, the reason for these shorts. First of all, Max Sennett and, and W. Fields were good friends and golfing buddies. <laughs> so I have no doubt that there was some, some work between them where, you know, Sennett said, you know, why don't we do some stuff? And, uh, and Fields had been working at Paramount in, way back in the silent days even. And he made, I don't know, uh, six or seven silent features. But, of course, they're not like the features that we know because part of his character, one of the most important parts of his character is his voice, the very distinctive drawl that he has. And, of course, that's missing from the silent films. So these shorts, I think, were one way for Paramount to kind of look at Fields as a speaking actor in sound films and see if he had what it took to carry a talking feature. And And right after the last short of this series... He went into features, and that's where he stayed for the rest of his career. And when he talks in these movies, nobody says anything. Nobody comes close to even stepping on him because all your ears and your eyes are just are just locked on this guy as he works. It's very much like uh, Cagney and all those guys. They had just such strong character, and a lot of it was their voice. Mm-hmm. For uh, While watching this, I was reminded of a, a, 
this um, fine point that you pointed out about Curly of the Stooges, who mm -hmm. had this almost uh, dance-like, balletic uh, quality to his small movements. And W.C. Fields has a lot of those same. He has a very beautiful subtlety. Yes. That, that but, but virtually everything he does is with is by design. It's not and, and so much of the, the timing on all these movies. He sets the timing. Yeah, and the, and the, some of that, like we're getting into um, uh, talking about Fatal Glass of Beer, especially because. It's so it's such a tiny movie, especially even compared to the dentist. Yes, very confined and, and compacted. And W.C. Fields wrote both of these. Yeah, actually, I think he wrote all four of the shorts. It, you know, but um, uh, he um, just you watch what he does, and and some of the really funny bits in in Theater That's Beer are so tiny, and you have to watch it several times to really get them. Little things that he does, little just ridiculous things that he does that just go right by the first couple times you see it. Um, I mean, there's one part. Uh, near the beginning where the, this Mountie comes to visit him and wants him to sing the song about his son, and he opens a trunk to get his zither out, and the first thing he pulls out is an electric fan. Now, he's up in a cabin that doesn't have any electricity, and he's got this electric fan. He doesn't think anything about it. He just pulls it out, sets it aside, tells him, you know, you have to excuse my voice because we can't get any Ipecac up here. And yes. for those of most people forgot about Ipecac, but Thanks it's... Thanks, York. That's right. It's a, it's a, a, a nomadic designed to make you throw up. <laughs> Let's hear just a little bit of the song. Uh, and by the way, I really enjoyed this short. I really oh, did. I watched it actually several times. Uh, well, but, now maybe we'll let you see the dentist. <laughs> so I know I've been initiated. I can move forward. Let's hear a little bit of the song that he song. sings to the... song about his son, Chester. There was once a poor boy And he left his country home And he came to the city to look for work promised his mom and he would lead a sinless life and always shun the fatal curse of drink. Once in the city, he got a situation in a quarry <laughs> and there he made the acquaintance of some college students. It just uh, gets worse <laughs> from there. And he's playing this on an auto harp right. with, with massive mittens. mittens. He's got great big mittens he's on. Got mittens on. <laughs> Not even pretending to do it. <laughs> yeah. But let me, let, me, let me just give a quick synopsis of the story just so people who haven't seen this can know what we're talking about. Did I need a spoiler alert on this? Uh, <laughs> no, because no, I won't give away the end. Okay. All right. uh, the, the basic story of it, such as it is, is uh, Fields plays a, a prospector up in the frozen north. He's in a little little cabin out prospecting, and Constable Postal Whistle comes by to see him and asks him to sing this song. And basically you learn that, that Field's son, Chester, uh, stole some or, – or actually was given the fatal glass of beer, his first drink. Mm -hmm. He went out. Uh, he uh, assaulted a Salvation Army girl. He breaks her tambourine. Then she kicks him in the chin. <laughs> uh, then he ends up stealing some money from his bank job and goes to jail. So Fields heads home through the frozen north with his dog sled team, uh, one of which is a dachshund. Going through the, the, the frozen north, which is just the worst background projection. Oh, it's ever beautiful seen. too. It's we terrible. love it. Yeah, and he, says, uh, he says big, mush, and he goes, "Tastes like cornflakes because yeah. all the snow all is the, sitting the, in so, it's all cornflakes." And there are a lot of of inside jokes in a way. A lot in of it is this. inside filmmaking jokes. But it's yeah. all a send up. This is making fun of of. Uh, virtually right. everything that has preceded but, this era. But one of the things that makes it work so well, unlike many of the things they do now where they send up, is that nobody ever steps out of character. 
Fields and, and Rosemary Thiebe plays the wife and George Chandler plays the son. They all do this as if it is the most important Shakespearean piece they have ever done. Only they don't <laughs> emulate uh, Shakespearean kind of accents. They all emulate Fields. That's they all right. talk just, like him. Yeah. And, he's got, and, yeah, and he has affected this extremely flat, flat, flat Midwestern nothing. Uh, not, even, not even his drawl is really in there. But it's just very flat, very monotone. Um, we have a piece there, I think. Uh, yes, yes. Play the. I was going to do the eight of fifth. Yeah, this is a little bit of advice he gives to the uh, the constable. Uh, yes, go ahead. My uncle Ichabod said, speaking of the city, it ain't no place for women, gal, but pretty men go there. <laughs> always said something to make you split your sides of laughing. What does that mean? What does that mean? Now, that's a line you probably couldn't have gotten away with in another year or so. Yeah, this is before code. <laughs> For pretty men. When did the code kick in, by the way? I think it was January of 33 or 34. Oh, really? Uh, so this was just yeah. under the wire. Oh, yeah. And they ran that. They, they hired, uh, it's called the Hayes Code, and they hired the Postmaster General to mm-hmm. rule this. Because oh, films right. were considered exhibition. They weren't considered art. Correct, George? That's right. They were product. I mean, they were a product. They were not an art form. Uh, like theater was considered art, which is why a lot of theater actors, you know, in the early film days wanted nothing to do with movies because it was beneath them. Yes, until they got the money. Yeah, or until they didn't have a job. <laughs> and the movies were beckoning. But anyways, let me let me finish the story of Pedro Glossopier. He uh, Fields gets home uh, to his wife, and first of all, he throws a couple of Indians out of his house who are sitting by the fireplace. Bizarre. Yeah, for no reason whatsoever. He just gives yeah, them just the They're just sitting there. there and, and they, they have just the full like... headdress on. Well, and what's yeah. really interesting, uh, that as, as they're leaving, you know, they're, they're doing the how and how kind of thing. And, and as they're leaving, he tells them to uscray, yeah, which, which is, is pig, pig Latin, Latin. But instead of, you think he would say amscray for scram, right. but he says uscray, <laughs> which is screw. So I'm not exactly sure what he's meaning by that. But he, um, his wife comes out, and uh, and he's he's found a golden nougat, as they say. Which cracks me up. This There's so much food humor ball. here. But There's the the cornflakes, the nougat, right, and, nougat. And, and then even what. Well, and they have dinner. And this little piece, number three, I believe, the the one that says Balto. Oh yeah. Yeah. This is where they're sitting at dinner and they're talking about uh, a visitor to the house that day, and he talks about his sled dogs. Did you find any gold down the ghost pole? Found that nougat though it be on the table. A nougat? A golden nougat? Just what you've been a combing them Bar Hills for, for nigh on to 30 years. It must be worth almost $100. It'll help to pay off the mortgage on the old shack. Has that pill for medicine happened here again? Yes, and he wants more money. Right as high? He wants more money, and if he don't get it, he'll take our Malamute. He won't take old Balto, my lead dog. Why not, Paul? Because I had him. You had him? He was mighty good with mustard. We was a mushing over Blind Nag Rim last night, and I got mighty hungry. You better take your mucklocks off, Paul. Captain Pipperton of the Canadian Mounted smuggled a police dog across the border for you. Smuggled a police dog across the border for me? Yes, and he says for you to keep it under your hat. How big is it? About so high. He's crazy. 
It's a big rock, folks. It's really big. <laughs> We're talking about Fatal Glass of Beer, W.C. Fields, one of his many uh, shorts. Actually, five shorts. Is that true? Only five total? Five sound shorts and one silent short. And it's on Filmically Perfect on 91.3 WYSO. J. Todd Anderson is on the phone. We've got George Williman in the house. I'm Nikki Dakota. And uh, we celebrate the best every time around. And I have to say, now that you're going to let me watch The Dentist. This is a little history. You know, we're doing some history today, <laughs> film history. Um William Claude Duncanfield, that was his real name. He was, born in, he was born in Derby, yes. Pennsylvania, and his father, he came from an English-Irish family of noble origins, believe it or not. Uh, he is descendants of Lord Duncanfield at Cheshire, and his father was a comb maker, and then when he came to the United States, he was a baker, and then uh, he left to be a vaudeville comedian when he was 18 years old. And uh, what he did, uh, one of the big things that, hooked for him when he was a live entertainer was he was an eccentric juggler mm -hmm. and that's in a lot of his films and it's pretty amazing stuff there's no doubt in my mind that he got a lot of his timing when you see him working on the screen he's got this really good delivery and real good sense of timing on when to nail a line and a lot of that i think comes from juggling if you watch his juggling it's beyond juggling it's he he captivates you with uh, cigar boxes. Yeah, there's the, the 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 cigar boxes were his big thing. I mean, he juggled balls and other things, but there were there's. He's a on a postage stamp, with. one of our postage stamps, doing. Oh, is that right? Cigar boxes. Mm -hmm. Now, did he sort of was that he pioneered that? Because I've seen that routine. Are people copying him when he? I, I, with the cigar boxes, I would have no surprise. I would not be surprised at all that that that, that was his original thing. And when he started doing these shorts, he was in his late forties, and he really. Uh, screamed to the top of his arc when he was um he, he died in 1946 uh, so he had like 10 years of really really bright uh flourishing entertainment uh, when he was doing all these movies and he started doing the features and every, a lot of people remember when may west but most of all people just remember him to this day they yeah he's remembered him. just as a sort of very unique eccentric character with the you know, he hate the hating of children and and that, that heavy drinking. <laughs> one of the, one of the quotes that, and, that I always hear, and I don't know exactly how it works, but he says you should take a small child and put them in a box and leave a crack so you can feed the child, and then after three years you seal up the crack. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I'm sure somebody can write us and tell us that correct quote. Oh, but uh, I hear that, and I always I always think about that when I'm on the set and kids are getting all bent out of shape, you know? <laughs> I always think of W.C. Fields. <laughs> There's a line, actually, in this movie as well that is funny because uh, when I originally watched it, um, this ain't a fit, ain't a fit night ain't out. Ain't a fit night out for man or beast. Let's just hear it. Just ain't a fit night out for man or beast. And of course, of course, that's always capped off with a with a fistful of fake snow in his face. With his cornflakes. Right, right, thrown, right, right, thrown just off camera by someone, very obviously. But I saw somewhere, because there's some uh, internet movie site that uh, actually also bothers to list references or people that refer back to that work. And mm -hmm. among those, there's another movie that was sort of based on... This short, is that right, or am I remembering that? That I am not sure about. Well, but Bill Burrell imagine. picked up a similar gag when he did the makeup trick, you know. Right, makeup the big powder puff, yeah. <laughs> so it's the cornflakes in the mouth But also, thing. apparently that line, and they do credit this film as the origin. If anybody yeah. knows if that's a poem or something that predates 1933. Well, 
But in in Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer, apparently they say that in the in the I animation. Think, yeah, Yukon the... Cornelius probably has a line someone oh, yeah, like I that. I bet it is. Um, yeah. But I know that Fields, coming from the the vaudeville stage, uh, encountered a lot of you know the little melodramas that would come from town to town, and I'm sure this is something that comes out of that. In fact. In a film that he did not too long after this, a film called The Old Fashioned Way, where they actually, the ending, they recreate The Drunkard, which was this famous melodrama from the <laughs> 1890s. Uh, he does the Ain't a Fit Night Out for Man or Beast again in that film. And I think he also gets a face, face full of snow as well. So he's referencing himself. Himself, yes. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, he's very close. That's one thing behind this short, I think, is that this is his sort of his almost tribute, sort of parody tribute to those barnstorming melodramas of the late 19th century. He stands there and he takes it and he you watch it he's just a master he works it perfectly. That's right. He, he never and he, he never turns right into it and bam he it's nope. almost the timing is impeccable every time. Except for the end. He never flinches. He never flinches until the ending. Okay. Ah, 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 George you gave it away. I haven't said anything yet. No, yeah, at the ending, he, he and his wife are standing at the door, and he gives the, the famous line, and and then he flinches. Hey, but Nikki, notes... could you cut that thing? Oh, Thank sorry, you. it is cut on it. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. It's cut for everybody but you. Sorry. But uh, no snow comes at the end. You know, he has a big flinch, no snow. You know, there's only one other thing that we have not mentioned is one of the reasons that he was so popular in, you know, generations before us was that he was a master of radio. And back then, radio was like RTV, not to be confused with the sophisticated radio we have nowadays <laughs> that Mel Carmazin wants to tell you how to listen to, um, <laughs> Clear Channel, and, and uh, yeah, he's, he's, he's the czar. He's going to tell you how you should listen to radio. Um, but uh, he was uh, – W.C. Fields was always on there – on radio quite a bit with some of the stars of the day with their great voices. Well, he certainly does have a versatile voice. And he no was question. one of his more famous shticks was with Charlie uh, McCarthy. Charlie McCarthy and Nick the Bergen. wooden ventriloquist doll. Mm-hmm. And he would make fun of him, call him a table leg. His father was a table leg or something. Like yeah, stuff's still really funny when you listen to it. Well, you know what's funny? My mom really, really loved W. C. Fields uh, growing up. I know, you know, she just would always make reference to how funny she thought she was, and I never got it as a kid. Well, first of all, he hates kids, so that might have applied. But, uh, but now I have a, just a whole new appreciation for her appreciation of it. It's good indeed. We're talking about fatal glass of beer, W. C. Fields. And uh, also the dentist, uh, both of these shorts made in the early 30s pre-code and that are available, at least uh, the one online for you. Right. It's public domain now. You can check it now, out. Now, the interesting thing about these shorts, two of them are public domain. The two we're talking about today are public domain. The other two, which are called The Pharmacist and The Barbershop, are still under copyright. Um, and, and they're a little harder to find, but you, you can still find them. Uh, Criterion or Voyager, through Voyager, put out a, originally it was a laser disc, and they have since put out a DVD of, of all six of his shorts. Uh, very nice, the best possible versions they could find, except the dentist actually isn't, but that's another story. But um, that's where you can find the best copies of all these shorts. They look really great. The, the public domain ones are easy to find on low-cost DVDs, but a warning, most of them look really, really bad. So, uh, caveat emptor. But hey, we're just about the, running out of, of time. Strokes, if you want to see one of the boldest strokes in comedy in the 30s, find that dentist and find it uncut if you can do it. Yeah. The real one, as the artist intended. We are just about out of time. I wanted to get a chance to play this uh, last little bit that he has some thoughts on the. Oh, that's right. This is where Chester has come home and they're afraid that, you know, he's not going to be happy staying at the old homestead. 
Don't cry, Ma. We got our son back again, ain't we? Welcome home, Chester. Thank you, Paul. And I don't suppose we'll have him with us long. Once the city gets into a Bahoy system, he loses his hankering for the country. Can you explain to me why he said that that way? <laughs> no, and he probably couldn't either. <laughs> no. <laughs> W.C. Fields in A Fatal Glass of Beer. Also, the dentist, filmically perfect. Uh, who said so? J. Todd Anderson on the phone line and George Willeman right here in the studio. I'm Nikki Dakota. Got to wrap it up. Another filmically perfect to coming in your ear. George Willeman, thank you. Thank you. Our pleasure as always. J. Todd Anderson, thank My you. What are we doing next week? We're do- next, <laughs> next week we're doing one of the first great sound anti-war films. Big Academy Award winner. All Quiet on the Western Front. Uh, restored by the fine people at the Library of Congress. Thank you for listening to an archival episode of Filmically Perfect. Please keep an ear out for new episodes of Filmically Perfect, coming very soon to iTunes and hosted on our website, www.perfectmovie.net. See you, please.